Lord, that he will, he will take care of us. Echoing the passage we learned last week, that we casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He truly is one who cares about us, and not just about us, he cares for us. And we can rest and hope in that. We're going to pick up in the context of that verse. That verse nestles right in the middle of what we need to talk about today. So take your copy of God's Word, your Bibles, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. As Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is beginning to wrap up this letter, he's dealing with, oh, four topics. One is pride and humility. One is God's care for us. One is our adversary, the devil. And the last is the calling and grace of God. And it's intriguing to me that these four truths, teachings, really are intertwined with each other. They build upon each other. They're all connected. I'd like to bring your attention to chapter 5 and verse 5. We'll begin in the middle of that, where the command is given, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Gracious God, we give thanks to you for your grace. We give thanks to you that you are the God of all grace. We give thanks to you that you are the one to whom all glory and honor and praise is due. And this morning as we open your word, as we here look at these truths presented, Lord Jesus, may your spirit work in our hearts. May these truths set us free from false ways of thinking that we may go forth as your people victorious, not for our glory and honor, but for yours alone. And may it be yours forever and ever. We pray in your name. Amen. Peter, he spoke of humility. He spoke of pride. He spoke of our cares. He spoke of the afflictions and sufferings in this world. He spoke of our adversary, the devil. 
all of these are interconnected. I find it interesting to consider Peter, the man God used to write these words. These are truths that were inspired by the Spirit of God. They come from God. But God used a particular man to record them for us. And that man's background is very intriguing in light of what God has used him to convey to us in truth. Think of some of the themes that are here presented. Pride and humility. You know, Peter gets picked on an awful lot, doesn't he? And sometimes we might look at Peter and see different parts of his life, and we might say, now there's a pretty proud guy. And you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Peter did have a lot of pride. Which is intriguing to me that here now, so many years later, after we hear of pieces of his life during the time of Jesus here on earth, God uses this man, whom we perceive as a man who was proud, to give the command, be clothed with humility. The man God chose to inspire the declaration that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Here the man who seemed to have everything together at one time is the one who tells us to cast our cares upon him, for he careth for us. This, this is the guy who, in the garden, was going to take things into his own hands with a sword. And then he speaks of this adversary, the devil. You know, we have an adversary, and he's called the devil, and he's got a few other names, and it's not some fiction fairy tale invented by people to scare children. The devil is a real created being. He is an angel. Now, when we think of angels, we think of good angels normally, but he used to be a good angel, but he is a fallen angel. He is one who, interest, interestingly, is guilty of um, the pride condemned here in verse 5 and 6. In fact, it was pride that brought about the downfall of our adversary, the devil. And he is just that. He is an adversary. He is an enemy. He is a devil and the word devil here carries the idea of one who is slandering, one who is speaking falsehoods, and one who is speaking lies. He is one who is against us and is a slandering devil. Duh. He's also described as a roaring lion. Now, we don't have any roaring lions in our neighborhoods, do we? You know, we take and we go out and we let our children, for the most part, play out in our yards um, without much fear of anything more than ticks. Not that ticks aren't scary, but, you know, that's about the scariest thing we have up here in Indiana. Well, would we let our children so play out if there was news of a lion lurking about in our neighborhoods, in the woods, around our homes? Would we 
be so mm, casual in how our children play in the yard, or would we be sober and vigilant? Would we be watching and paying closer attention, knowing that there was a lion lurking in the woods? The same is true for us. We have the devil as a lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Mm, That doesn't sound like a very nice concept. How does he do that? You know, his tactics have been the same from the beginning. Lies. Lies. From the very beginning when he was cast out, well, even let's go back before he was cast out of heaven, he, he lifted himself up in lies. I will be like the Most High. So he thought. So he said. He's a deceiver. Did you know that lies devour us? Lies cause so much trouble in our hearts and in our minds and our lives, in our relationships, every aspect of life where there is a lie, it is evil trouble. And his tactics continue the same as a liar. He's not bound. He walketh about, and he must be resisted. But how? You know, I think it would help us to actually look at how Satan was active in Peter's life. Did you know that Satan was active in Peter's life? Take your Bibles and turn with me back to the Gospels. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It's very fascinating to me that when we find Peter... And the connection with Satan, it has to do with a particular topic between Peter and Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter was following Jesus. And there was a point in Jesus' ministry when he began to talk about going to Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem because he needed to go there to suffer. He needed to go there to die. He needed to go there to rise again. This truth, this ministry, this reason that Jesus became a man, Satan didn't like, didn't want it. And Satan wanted his lies to overwhelm even the disciples. If you look with me in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, you'll read this. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Do you sense some pride? Do you sense that Peter here is not clothed with humility, but is rather proud? Do you? Do you sense a lie? I mean, Jesus has just now proclaimed a fact, a truth. And Peter is 
basically telling Jesus, you've got it wrong. No, that's not true. Look at how Jesus responded to him. So Peter here, verse 22, it says, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, when I read that, I kind of shudder to hear Jesus refer to Peter as Satan. Now, the Greek word for Satan is actually the word for adversary or enemy. And so you could look at this and say, Peter, you are behaving as my enemy and as my adversary. Get behind me. But what's going on here is really a lie. And we know that Satan, the adversary, is the father of lies. And Peter, in pride, notice it began there really with pride. Peter is putting himself above Jesus Christ. He is taking his thoughts, his opinions, his words, and he's putting them, he will be greater than what Jesus has just said. And Jesus responds to him directly, directly reproving Peter for this. And then he goes on and he addresses a further deeper need in all of this. Verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what does a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I imagine those words were really hard for Peter to swallow on that day. In fact, I don't think they actually set in. I don't think that Peter fully grasped that day how much he was being devoured by his adversary, the devil, by lies. Hear a lie. Oh, let it not be so, Jesus, that the whole reason you came to earth can't be so. It can't be so. Jesus was direct in dealing with it. And yet God used this man to inspire these world, words and be clothed with humility to us. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Peter, here in this moment, he didn't have yet this scripture, Cast your care upon him, the faithful creator, for he careth for you. Peter, Peter, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Walketh about, seeking you 
to devour you. These lies are devouring you. Peter resists steadfast in the faith. I've spoken to you truth. Peter believed the truth. Why do I say Peter didn't get the message back in that day? Well, turn with me over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, now we come to the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And there is a statement made here to Peter that is, in, in Luke, a little bit disjointed. It just all of a sudden appears. And, and if you're reading through Luke and you come to this statement in Luke 22 and verse 31, you might say, well, where'd that come from? But if you compare the different gospels, the four different gospels, and put them together, you find that there has been a dialogue going forth here with Jesus and his disciples. And we find the context of this is Jesus speaking to the disciples about what's going to happen this very night. Um, back in, over in Mark chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And though not recorded in any other of the Gospels, Luke records these words of Jesus to Peter. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, that's another name for Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Oh, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, that's basically the same thing that the Holy Spirit through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 is telling us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's you, that's me. He is seeking to devour us as a lion. Here, it's the idea of the one who will be sifted as wheat. Now, some of us are farmers, some of us aren't farmers, and some of us know what this is, and some of us don't know what this is. Sorry, Mr. Rice, you know, I'm going to make another mess. I've been making lots of messes these week. Here's just a little piece of wheat. You see in all of this, Jesus tells them, this is the Satan. He desires to do this to you. That look very nice? No. says the custodian. Thank you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You see what's going on here? We've got Peter, Jesus telling them, my dear disciples, you're all going to be offended. 
you are all going to be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Jesus is the shepherd. His disciples are the sheep. The shepherd is going to be smitten. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried, mockingly so. He's going to be tortured, and he's going to die, and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus warns them. He warns them. And you might say, well, good, they got forewarning. That means they won't be, right? Well, Peter kind of thought that. And in his pride, he says, um, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Peter, are you clothed with humility? God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. This is a time for Peter to believe the words of the Lord and to trust himself to the power and the strength of his Lord rather than his own. You see, the focus here is not to receive grace from God to help him through this time of trial about to come. No, no, no. Peter's like, I got this, Jesus. I got this. He's proud. And you know, when we are proud, it gives the opportunity for the roaring lion to come along and to devour us with lies. And here is a lie. I love Jesus' response here. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Not just his warning, but then how he follows it. He said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There, Jesus is illustrating to Peter, look, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. He here knows the weakness of Peter. Later that night, we learn of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what I think one of his prayer requests was? For the sheep about to be scattered, that their faith would not fail. Notice here, he prays that your faith not fail. Look back at 1 Peter. Flip back over there with me here. It says in verse 9, whom this roaring lion, this, this adversary, the devil, whom this guy resists steadfast in, in, in what? In the faith. By believing. You know what? God answered this prayer for Peter. Because yes, indeed, that night, Peter failed, just as Jesus said would happen. But he wasn't devoured. Because his fail, faith did not fail. And in that time, he was converted. When he heard that cock crow, he remembered the words of Jesus telling him, Peter, this night before the cock crow thrice, you shall deny me three times. Peter did 
deny Jesus three times. He was, in a way, sifted. But unlike Judas Iscariot, who went and hung himself, Peter recognized his sin of pride and unbelief. He was converted. He changed directions. And you know what's going on in 1 Peter chapter 5? A fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for Peter. Strengthen thy brethren. This prayer here that Jesus made for Peter is being fulfilled right now. Because the truth of the matter that we can resist by the faith, by believing, is our hope in resisting our adversary, the devil. And God used Peter to record these words for us so that when we face the lies of the devil, when we see ourselves being tempted in unbelief, we can remember that pride will bring a fall. We can remember that God resists the proud. We can remember, we can know that God gives grace to the humble. We can know in whatever moment of temptation or trial that we can cast all our care upon him for he careth for us. We can know that we have an adversary. We can know and understand what lies are playing here to sift us. What are the lies of the devil? What are his deceptions that are there that are ready to devour us or maybe in the midst of it? By faith, heeding these words that Peter was inspired to write, we can wake up, we can be sober, we can be vigilant, we can resist steadfast in the faith. Jesus was praying for Peter. Did you know that the scriptures tell us that today Jesus is seated on the right hand of God making intercession for us? He's still praying for us. And I think this is one of his prayer requests that our faith fail not, that we keep on believing, that we keep on trusting our God, that we keep on humbling ourselves under his mighty hand, believing the real truth about who we are, about who he is, about what's going on in this world, and about who our adversary the devil is, that our faith fail not. For you see, this interaction with the roaring lion is not us working out our self-righteous muscles or disciplining our rigorous routine or strategy. Well, depends what you mean by strategy. If it's in some kind of self-accomplishment, self we're just building up something to be devoured. Rather, we need to be humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, knowing that Satan is a very powerful being. He is a very powerful being. And the truth is, 
if we were to go up against them by ourselves, guaranteed loss. Guaranteed loss. In fact, over in the book of Jude, we find another angel called Michael who went up against Satan in an out-and-out face-to-face battle. And even Michael knew and understand that archangel, that powerful and great archangel of the nation of Israel, knew he had no power against Satan. And he responded to him by saying, the Lord rebuke you. He set for us an example. That's how we too fight. It is by faith that we fight. Peter here gives a summary of this. And he gives us a basic outline of how we interact with this adversary whom we need to be sober and vigilant regarding. We need to be resisting steadfast in faith. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6, where we have a little more detail about what is going on in the spiritual warfare that every one of us are facing every single day. Every single day we are faced with lies. If, 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 if we did not believe lies, we wouldn't commit the sins that we commit. If we didn't believe lies, we wouldn't fail to do the things that we ought to do. But we are not believing God, and it is unbelief. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It is believing and trusting in our God, both in what he has said and what he has commanded and what he has promised and who he is as a person. It is faith in all of him. That is where the victory comes. And we find that illustrated for us vividly in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. We're here now, the apostle Paul is writing, and he says, finally, my brethren, be strong. In the Lord and in the power of his might. If we're going to fight, if we're going to resist steadfastly the roaring lion, our adversary, the devil, we must stand strong, stand fast in the Lord and in his power and in his might. That's an illustration vividly of what faith is. It is the believing and dependence upon the one who is mighty and powerful. It goes on. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice whose armor it is. It is the armor of God. And it says that we put this on, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, over in Peter, we see him presented as a lion. I don't know much about lions, and I don't know how they hunt, and I don't know how they devour. Um, But, you know, I've seen the little cats, and they have this real sneaky way of catching their prey, don't they? They do have this way of catching their prey. We used to have barn cats that were coming around, and, hey, boy, you'd see those things sneaking up on the bird feeder, you know. My kids think cats are so cute, and then they think birds are so cute. And my little girl, she has a picture on her T-shirt where there's this kitty cat, and then there's this little birdie, and there's this little heart next to the two of them there. So a little kitty cat and a little birdie and a little heart. And we have a conversation. What what does your T-shirt mean? Because everywhere I go, I ask teenagers, hey, what's your shirt mean? It's actually a great conversational starter. What's your shirt mean? And they look at their shirt, and they sometimes don't even have any idea what it really means. 
And um, so I even asked my kids, what's your shirt mean? And so, tears has already been slipped out here. What, 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 Micaiah, have we decided that shirt means? That cats love to eat birds. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's what the designer of the t-shirt intended by it, but that's our definition of it in this current world. Now, if we were in the millennium, it would be a totally different thing. So we're, we're trying to, we're looking at it from the present world and in the future world. So now when I asked Tirza, what's your shirt mean? She goes, cats like to eat birds, or cats love to eat birds. The cats love to devour. The lion loves to devour. And you see the word here, wiles? Sneaky. Trickery. This is why Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary is not just this roaring lion. He's a sneaky, stealthy liar. And he's going to sneak up on you, and he's going to feed you lies, and you're not even going to know it's him. Happens to me all the time. We have to beware of his wiles. And in order for us to stand against them, we have to have the armor of God. Now, we don't have time this morning to preach through the whole passage here of the armor of God and all that is involved in all of this. But there's some basic truths that we need to know. Verse 12 is really important. And I think this is relevant back over also to 1 Peter chapter 5. So actually look at 1 Peter 5 and verse 9, and then we'll come back and look at verse 12. Here at 1 Peter 5, 9, it says, Whom resists, that is the devil, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Don't think that you're some special, special, special target of the adversary, the devil. It's pretty universal. He's out after everyone. And also, be careful to identify the trouble. You see, this is in context here of the afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. These are the sufferings. The whole book of 1 Peter is written to Christians who are suffering. Suffering terrible things at the hands of evil men. Or is it men? Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh, that's interesting. But against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's speaking of demonic powers. Oftentimes, we get focused on the enemy as being flesh and blood, the human being that's before us, and that is a problem. But there is a greater battle that's going on behind the scenes for the wiles of the devil who is sneaky trickery. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's why we need to be sober, be vigilant. And that's why here in Ephesians, the command is to take upon, take unto you the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Begins first, this armor being girt about with truth, the belt of truth. Truth is what holds it all together. That's the number one area in which the adversary lies. He attacks us in deceit and falsehood. And so our very first really defense against that is truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, not self-righteousness, which are but filthy rags, but the glorious righteousness of Jesus Christ, whom when we are humbly bow before him, he clothes us in his righteousness. Having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, are we going about knowing, believing the gospel of peace and proclaiming it? Do we leave it behind as we leave footprints behind? Is the gospel of peace proclaimed and believed in our hearts? And look at verse 16 at what above all we need. Above all, taking the shield of faith. How do we resist the devil back here in 1 Peter 5, verse 9? Whom resist steadfast in what? The faith. Above all, here it says, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Those fiery darts, a few months back, Bruce illustrated for us, are lies that are shot at us, lies and deceptions do we believe them? Or do we, as Jesus set us an example, when the father of lies came to him and lied to him boldly and in his face, are we there prepared with the truth of Scripture to respond? Believing it. Do you see that? The shield of faith, that is faith in what God has said, so that when the lies come, we can identify the lies and we can, by faith, quench them. Do we have the helmet of salvation? Salvation here, I believe, is more than just that of being redeemed from our sins and becoming a child of God, saved from damnation, but a salvation that is a day-by-day salvation from the power of sin in our lives. It's both. Notice that it's a helmet. Is there a salvation from the deceptions and from the lies? And what is our offensive weapon? How do we engage when we are being sober and when we are being vigilant? When we are resisting steadfastly in the faith, we are resisting with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The lies of Satan will sift us. They will devour us. He will devour us. But don't be discouraged. No that there's one greater than him who's praying for you. And if you, by faith, humble yourself under his mighty hand, and you stand strong, not in your own strength, not in your own confidence, but in him, you will stand fast in faith. You will be able to resist that roaring lion. And you know what that's going to result in? Back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, 
Remember, God resisteth the proud, but begiveth grace unto the humble. And the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. This is what God wants to accomplish in all of this. For what purpose, verse 11? To him, that is Christ Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And amen may it be in each of our lives. I tell you that I like these pastor, I have a question cards. I got a great question recently. If God can do anything, why didn't he cast out Satan at the beginning? You want to know the answer? You'll have to come back this afternoon. We're going to talk about it this afternoon. But I'll give you a little hint as to what I think the answer to this question is. I think the little hint to the answer of this question, lest I leave you without anything to it, is really the end of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And we're going to look at the end of 1 Peter 5 and verse 10 this afternoon. And we're also going to go back in history and look at a man named Job. And we're going to see how these two interact and how they interact to why God didn't just put Satan in that bottomless pit a long time ago. Or why he didn't cast him into the lake of fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels a long time ago. Because I really, I really agree with you. Hey, the guy that answered this question is only this tall. Yep. That's a great question. I've asked it many a times. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do with that question? And what do we do with this adversary? There's a reason he wasn't cast into the lake of fire. There's a reason why he's still walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You already know how to resist him, don't you? I pray that it not just be here, but that it be from your heart that your faith fail not. Stand strong in the Lord. Be sober. Be vigilant in the Lord. Believing truth and knowing who your enemy really is. That you may have victory every day every lie. I love Ephesians 6 where it says, whereby ye may quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. None of them should be getting through. And when they are getting through, it's very likely primarily due to the fact that we are being proud. So when we find ourselves in failure, let us humble ourselves under his mighty hand seeing ourselves as God sees us in relation to ourselves, to those around us, to the world, and to our adversaries? Do we see ourselves and see ourselves and recognize ourselves in those perspectives? As we close, if this morning you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ does not live inside of you and his Holy Spirit inside of you, you don't have much chance against the devil. 
He will sift you, and he will devour you, and you won't even know it, and you won't have a chance in fighting against him. The first step in the fight is by faith believing that you are a sinner condemned to eternity in the lake of fire, but that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, that he rose again so that he could give you life and so that he could forgive you your sins and so that he could live inside of you so that when you engage in these battles, it's in him you can stand strong by faith. And so if you've not received him, if the Holy Spirit, Jesus, does not live inside of you today, the first step in dealing with this roaring lion, our adversary, the devil, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive him, the gift of his Holy Spirit, and he will move in and live inside you. And then you can fight in victory, standing strong not in your own strength, but in the strength that Jesus has as the all-powerful, faithful creator. Gracious God, we praise you and give thanks to you for your love for us. We recognize that we have enemies. We recognize that we are weak. We recognize that the ugly, ugly vice of pride wells up often in our hearts and minds. Gracious God, may we humble ourselves before you May we experience your grace, and may we praise you as the God of all grace. Thank you that we can stand strong in you. Thank you that you will give us the victory over our adversaries. Thank you that by faith in the revealed, your revealed truth, we can quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Thank you that in all these things, we can stand strong because you are strong because you are great, because you are our power. May we humble ourselves in that power. And as we engage, may we be faithful. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who have not received your Holy Spirit, who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and had their sins forgiven and received life. I pray that today they would and that they would receive you, that they may fight in this life and that they might have hope for all eternity. We praise you now, and indeed, as Peter wrote, may all dominion, glory, and power be to you, and you alone, our God, we pray. Amen.